welcome everyone. Welcome to you at Homer Glen. We're glad to have you guys here in New Lenox and Orland Park and online. Glad to have you with us. Look, I just thought, you know, let's just, let's just stop right now and pray. We, we've all been doing it, but um, I just want to, you know, like be a pastor guy and say, hey, we need to just spend a moment. So if you don't mind, obviously for the people of Ukraine and, uh, and what's going on over there and the war and, you know, what this means to everything, would you just take a minute and and just pray silently for what's going on, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, our hearts are are just broken the more we see the images. um, And, you know, it just seems like we have access to images that we didn't used to have. And war has always been war, and invasion's always been invasion. But um, we're watching it, and we just want to pray for the people of Ukraine, um, really for the people of Russia, for the people of that region. I mean, uh, uh, even the poor Russian soldiers who didn't realize what they were being sent to do. Um, it's, a, it's a tragic situation. And my heart was broken this week when I was talking to a pastor friend who I've known for years, but I didn't know he used to be a missionary in Ukraine. And he was just giving me a little bit more of the personal side of what he knew was going on over there because of his connections. And, um, you know, that's what I think for all of us, Lord, that's, that's where it is. We see the pictures um, all of a sudden we realize, you know, those are, those are, those are people and that could be us and, and we see those children. And I just want to pray for President Zelensky that you'll continue to be with him and his resolve, that you'll be with the rest of us as we rally around and figure out how to stop um, this thing. I pray that you'll put someone or, or something in the brain of, of Putin that you'll help him to figure out what he's doing and how, how bad it is. And I just... Uh, I mean, you direct the kings. The Bible tells us that like, a, like the water is directed in a river. You do that, and I just want to pray that you'll do that. Um, just help them to feel our encouragement. I thank you for our partner, Convoy of Hope, to know that we're already over there. And uh, I pray for them and all the other aid uh, agencies that are trying to help. And I just pray for peace. Um, that's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in a series uh, based around this television series called The Chosen. Um, I know some of you haven't watched it yet because it's a Christian program. Can we just be honest? I mean, I was with my parents over the last couple of days, and I'm like, hey, you guys, have you watched The Chosen yet? No. I said, well, do you need me to, you know, because they always need me to help them, you know, set the VCR timer and stuff. I'm like, do you need me to help you find? No, no, we know where it is. I'm like, what you're you were a pastor what's your problem well I mean they didn't ever explain it but but you know I mean I know a lot of you haven't gotten around to it and I was the same way I mean I don't uh, Christian programming a lot of times is not very good I'm just telling you this is why I'm doing this I want you to see how good this really is and by the way the new Kurt Warner movie which is not overtly Christian at all phenomenal story my friend was the executive producer and it's a it's an amazing movie I mean let's just we can get past this now okay but anyway the 
Chosen. You find it on Peacock. You can find it on an app. And, and I'll tell you why. Because we want you to meet the unbelievable Jesus and help you to learn to scratch out the un part, okay? To find him believable. That was the goal of the people who made the Chosen program in the first place. And we realize that the world doesn't really know or understand Jesus like they used to. I mean, you know, people used to know the words to Yankee Doodle Dandy, right? But in this awkward moment on Wheel of Fortune, this happened this week. It took, listen, two minutes for the three contestants, eight turns and ten attempts to serve this five-word, to fix this five-word puzzle. <laughs> I'll solve. Okay. Another feather in your hat. G. No G. Lori, I have another shot at it. Another feather in your lap. No. In your map. No. You want to solve this? Yeah, I'll solve. Another feather in your cap. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, it's fine. That round is over, but it was fun in a sort of perverse way. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> what a liar. It was like the most awkward moment in Wheel of Fortune history. Another feather in your cap and called it... I'll explain that in a minute, okay? So in our lead into Easter, Lent started this way, by the way, and we wanted to go back and really help you to understand the unbelievable because some people just don't even know who Jesus really was. They don't, another feather in your whatever, right? And, and, and I'll just say this one more thing, you know, I know this is a little tricky for Bears fans because Jesus, who is portrayed here, has a resemblance to someone that most of us think is the opposite of Jesus, and that's really awkward. Um, thank you, Jennifer, for that one. Put aside what um, you're, you think Jesus is like, and, and let me introduce you to a Jesus like you always hoped he would be. Where is Jesus? You have certainly livened things up around here. You got me in a good mood just to fit in. <laughs> Come in. One of the rooms is haunted by my dead grandmother. Oh, I'll take that one. Do you know who he is? He's not afraid of ghosts. I might be. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Okay. I mean, I, this is this is how this is how it would have really been. Okay. I appreciate all the other ways that Jesus has been portrayed, but this is how it would have really been. So last week I did get used to different, and we talked about Matthew, the tax collector, uh, and how different all the followers were. And this week, not only were the followers unbelievable, but the new rules are unbelievable. Okay. Jesus challenged religious conventions with a set of new rules, a whole upheaval of the rule system. And the teaching of Jesus has been a scandal to people from the moment that he started working. The rules used to govern Jewish faith and Roman authority are challenged by an entirely new view. Who is worthy? That's what we talked about last week. Who does hold the power? Who is given access to God? And of course, what made Jesus mad was denying access to God. So this is a passion for me. But over the course of time, every kind of tradition and rule started to lose its point as time went on because people would forget what it was all about. 
Okay? So, so there were these rules that were good, but then they'd made more rules and they'd put on top of them, and everybody stopped to, to realize what the rules were really for. I mean, it ended up becoming Yankee Doodle Dandy, and we can't even remember why we stuck a feather in our cap and called it macaroni. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I finally had to look it up. What, what is that all about? Well, that song was actually a song that the British made up about us. A doodle is like a redneck, Okay? Okay, kids, I'm, I'm not saying go home and call your sister a doodle. Don't get me in more trouble with your parents, but, but that's what it was. You know, it was like if your home is mobile and you got five cars who aren't, you might be a doodle. You see what I'm saying? That's what it was, okay? And, 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 and what happens is over the course of time, we, for, we just like, cool, you want to make fun of us? That's going to become our new song. But over the course of time, what's macaroni? That had to do with how to dress, and they're so dumb, they put a feather in their cap, and they think they dress like the Italians. That's really what it was all about. I love the story of the lady who was cooking a ham one day, and she called her mom, and she said, Hey, Mom, why, why do we cut the ends off the ham? I remember cutting the ends off the ham to cook it. Why do we do that? I looked it up on the Internet, and it doesn't say anything about that. And Mom said, Well, I, I, I don't know, hon. Let's call your grandma. And they called grandma. They said, Grandma, why do we cut the ends off our ham when we cook it? Grandma said, I don't, I don't really know. Let's call great-grandma. So they called great-grandma. They said, great-grandma, why do we cut the ends off our ham when we cook it? Great-grandma said, well, I don't know why you do it. That was just the size of my pan, and that's what I had to do. <laughs> At some point, all of these rules and these traditions had sunk in so much that nobody knew why they were there. Nobody knew what they were doing. And they had no purpose. And increasingly, the world's vision of, of religion and what it is, they view religion as ignorant. And the trench gets dug deeper between the faithful and the faithless because of all of these stupid rules that they see. And I can't, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm not going to get over it. So, so the world looks at a, a, a parish in Arizona where all of these people are now no longer Christians because they were baptized by a priest who baptized them. We baptize you instead of I baptize you. And so now they can't get communion and they can't get married in the church. And the world looks at that stuff and they're like, why do you cut the ends off your ham? I, I don't know. What, what, what is macaroni? I don't know. This is just what we do. And the religious leaders were exactly there. They'd completely forgotten the point of why God wanted to have a relationship with his people in the first place. And here's what Jesus said. This was the theme of the book I wrote. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. How about this one? You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips... Like they're doing all the right things and saying all the right things, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Here's an example. But I haven't told you the worst part. One of our own approached him and he called all of us snakes. Us? Yes, religious leaders. Snakes? Do they say... He performs miracles. You, 
Like, whose authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. If he was supposed to be healed, God would have done it himself. Interesting point. Get out! Gladly. Blasphemer! What is wrong with you? Apparently everything. <laughs> you gotta like a sarcastic Jesus, don't you? If you read it, he was. So come on, stay with me. That last part was about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. All right, here you go. One Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? You see, the, the law said not to work on Saturday, but the religious leaders had added different categories of work and made up 39 separate categories for the meaning of work on the Sabbath, okay? The guy's hand is withered, all right? So probably it doesn't matter what day it is. If God wants to heal him, he's not going to go, well, sorry, buddy, you got to wait till the next day, right? And for example, one of the rules was, um, literally, you could spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit in the dirt on the Sabbath. This is my favorite one. Because if you spit in the dirt, you would be making mud, and that was work. Okay? We baptize you in the name of the... Sorry, I'm just not going to let it go. How did the Pharisees respond to Jesus' preemptive question? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and he sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. This is where the disconnect really happens. Another time Jesus told the religious leaders a story. And listen to what Luke tells us is the setup. This is so important. To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, okay? They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Does this sound like any religious people you've ever been around? That's a really painful sentence for some of you, isn't it? They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. 
Religious people like to go, oh, oh, look at me, look at me. I've got it all figured out. But just like the ones back in Jesus' day, it's really just about the outside. It's not about the inside. The word contempt here literally is what you think. It's they treat other people like they're worthless. (laughs) And how does that help anybody get closer to God? These are the arrogant, self-promoting people who put other people down so the world can see how great they are. I know you don't know anybody like that, so we'll move on, okay? This is a verse to set up the story that I referenced, by the way, last week, okay? I'm going to do the same story, but I'm going to do the other side of it, okay? It was the story, he told this parable to some who trusted that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, and this is it, okay? Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed about himself. If you were here last week, you heard me say that, okay? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector who is here. I fast twice a week. You know, just let me remind you that I do all the things. I check all the boxes on religion. I got baptized by an eye. I got all this stuff, okay? And notice the whole prayer is about himself, what he does, how dedicated he is, right? This position that he takes to pray uh, is by himself and about himself. It shows his identity, really, doesn't it? Set apart and pure compared to all those other people. And then he gives evidence based on the things that he's done that he's gone above and beyond the call and he has earned the right to put everybody else in their place. And and, and here's the important part because we're going to see this in a second. He does not give God any credit for any of it. It's just all about me and I did all these good things. Now don't I deserve to be with you? And that is the problem. He was good at living up to the expectations of the system as it had been taught to him. His religion was about, however, maintaining external regulations. And in that case, he was, he was doing great. He was killing it. And maybe you have been taught, slash raised, slash forced to think this about yourself, okay? That it's about how good you are. But the tax collector... Standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. What? Yeah, okay. Reminder, tax collector was way low on the list, right? I mean, like they were Jews that sold out to Rome and they were extorting money from their own people and they couldn't even really be in the same part of the, of the synagogue with everybody else because they weren't welcome there. They were as bad as you can get. Honestly, you'd have a hard time between prostitutes and tax collectors. Sometimes they're listed one in front of the other and sometimes it's the other way, okay? But I tell you that this man went down to his house justified. Rather than the good guy. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay? 
If, if you're one of those, I mean, we all get to be those religious people every once in a while who start looking down our noses at everybody else. If, if you're feeling a little bit that way today, understand this. The problem is here in the last sentence. The problem is you, if you think you can make yourself get there, then you don't need Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You can't come to the Father. Jesus said, you can't do the rules well enough to get to me. So until you admit that, you're not going to get to God. And the Pharisees were the strict religious customs and practices. And, 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 and at least they talked to God, even if it was just about themselves. But the tax collectors normally only talked about God when they subbed their toe, if you know what I mean. You know, I mean, they're just that far different from each other. They were the corrupt embezzlers working for the enemies of God. Not exactly the person you'd expect to be at the temple of God to pray. But for some reason, he stood at a distance... He stood at a distance because he knew he didn't deserve to be there. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. All right, that's it. It was the common temple practice to pray, okay, so you know, with your hands held out and your eyes up to heaven. That was the common practice. He couldn't even go into the right place, and he couldn't even take the right posture because he could not look up into heaven. So if you're here today and you're having trouble looking up into heaven, welcome to Jesus. That's the posture you need to have. Have mercy on me, a sinner. The original word here is better read, the sinner. Isn't that interesting? Have mercy on me, the sinner. In other words, the tax collector's looking at the Pharisee and he's like, well, it's just me and him, and he ain't the sinner. So it's me, the sinner. In that stupid system of religion, as he knew it, the Pharisee deserved to be there, and he didn't. He knows he's blown it. He knows he's broken the commandments. Everything is bad about this guy. And it takes a tremendous move of heart to admit you're wrong, especially in sight of a bunch of people who know that you're wrong. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice, you know? I mean, there's just nothing you can do about it. You're there, right? Um, that's just embarrassing, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? But before we get to Jesus' response, we need to know that this issue isn't new for anyone hearing Jesus' teaching, okay? Not new at all. In, in Isaiah, God is frustrated with all the ritual and no change of heart. I read this verse earlier, but I want you to hear it in the message paraphrase, what Eugene Peterson did with it. He says, quit your worship charades. <laughs> Isn't that great? Your worship charades, Okay. Knock it off. I can't stand your trivial religious games, your monthly conferences, your weekly Sabbath, your special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Thank you. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I ate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I will be looking the other way. Isn't that great? That's God to Isaiah. That's the Old Testament. They just never could figure out. Because somewhere along the line, we're always tempted to find a system and a bunch of rules so that we can justify ourselves. Because we feel like that's what we're supposed to do. Okay, listen again. But I tell you, Jesus said, this man, this man is the tax collector, okay, went down to his house, justified, 
rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me unpack this for a minute. Jesus teaches us time and time again that our identity is only changed by the position that we take before God. Matter of fact, Pastor Casey said this one time. I thought it was great. The reality is that religion can be like trying to slip God a fake ID. Right? You know, I'm 21, God. Yeah, here it is, right? It only works on people who don't know us. He told a story about an arrogant church leader who was trying to impress upon a group of boys the importance of living the Christian life. And, and, you know, he was just all, you know, dressed up in a suit and all good and big and all this stuff. And he said, boys, why do people call me a Christian? The man, he said to the boys. And after a moment's pause, one of the youngsters said, maybe it's because they don't know you. (laughs) Jesus says the tax collector has it right. He realizes that unless God takes mercy on him, nothing changes. And guess what? That's exactly right. Unless God has mercy on you, you never change. Unless God has mercy on me, I never change. And we have to look at this word here, all right? This is really important. He says the tax collector went to his house justified. Dikaio, which is the root word for righteousness or righteous. So there are three versions of this in this story. That's why sometimes the original language is really important. Dikaio is a lawyer's word. It means pardoned. It means acquitted. Justified. It means right. Righteous in the eyes of the law. Made righteous. Three times. Here it is. To those who thought they were righteous. Dikaio. Okay? He told this to a parable, this parable to the Pharisees who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Okay, got it? Dikaio, there it is. All right, the second time is I'm glad I'm not unrighteous, right? That was the Pharisee standing by himself, praying about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not undecayo. I'm decayo. I, I am a justified person, right? And then there's one more time it gets used. This man, Jesus said, went down to his house, decayo. Righteous. It's the same word rather than the other one. So do you see this? Here it is. They thought they were righteous. I'm glad I'm not unrighteous, but only one person was righteous. The one who took the humble posture before God. And of course, as you watch the Jesus story unfold, you know that it is those people, (laughs) the huge irony is, is that those are the people that killed him. You see, this is the downside of relating to God simply by rule keeping. Because eventually you just become somebody who doesn't really need God. You just need your rules. Can I say that again? You become somebody who doesn't really need God. You just need the rules. Tax collector knows who he is. He knows who God is. And He needs mercy, and he doesn't have any choice. And until we know that our identity is not caught up in the external, we'll never be able to experience the real change of heart. Because here's the deal. You know this. Rules don't change my heart. You can make me follow the rules, but it doesn't change my heart. And even if I start getting to the point where I really want to follow the rules... It's still not changing the reason why I still want to break them. So what I want to say to you is that maybe some Pharisee along the way has told you that you were not worthy. And God will deal with that person. And he loves those people because he loves everybody. 
But if all the, that you've been left with is the thought that you aren't good enough, you need Jesus. I mean, does anybody need help knowing they're not, un, they're not worthy? Anybody in here? If you need a little prodding, knowing that you're not worthy, I'll help you, okay? Or, you know, your mom will, right? Or, or your wife or your husband. We, we can help you figure out if you need to feel, you know, less worthy than you think you do. But I don't think we do. What we need is a solution, right? Here's Romans 3, again in the message paraphrase. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in, and he restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, our hearts can be changed. Because of Jesus, we can get a new real ID instead of the fake one that we're trying to slip over on him. So watch the woman at the well. I showed the full scene back in the fall when I was preaching about her. I just want to show you the end of that scene and then add to it some teaching that Jesus does in the village later when she gathers the crowd together. Now, if you don't know the story, the woman has been outcast by her community by her, because of her lifestyle, which may or may not probably more likely not have been her choice and Jesus meets her at the well and everything changes and it goes Jesus goes in her mind you watch the light bulb happen from unbelievable to believable here you go I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah you are the first it would be good if you believed me you picked the wrong person I came to Samaria just to meet you (laughs) Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. (laughs) Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. (laughs) You promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. Your water! You forgot your um. Papi, your man, you told me everything I ever did! <laughs> You're good at this. You should stay in town and open up a shop. <laughs> should I? Mm-hmm. A shop. That woman is going to introduce you to every Samaritan in the country. I hope so. (laughs) Hot. Because we know that God pursues the sick 
more than the healthy. Think of it this way. Who is tending your flock now? My brother. We're taking turns. How many sheep? One hundred, teacher. Say one of them goes astray. What do you do? I'd go look for it, of course. Of course. But what about the other 99? I'd have to leave them behind. I can't lose the one sheep. Hmm. And if you find it? I'd lay it over my shoulders and bring it home. And I would probably do a little dance. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say to your friends who are worried for you? Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Do you see what he just said there? He rejoices more for one sheep than over the 99 who never went astray. So it is not the will of my father that one of these should perish. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And that's the gospel, okay? That's it. Brendan Manning says it this way. I love this. As a sinner who has been redeemed, I can acknowledge that I am often unloving, irritable, and angry and resentful with those closest to me. When I go to church, I can leave my white hat at home and admit that I have failed. Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. God is a God who justifies those who know and acknowledge that they need him. That lost sheep over, over the 99 who don't need to repent, that's the heart of the Father. And don't you think, back to Jesus' scene, that Pharisee knew he was lying to himself. And you say, but, but PT, all I've been taught is how to keep these regulations. What am I supposed to do? Just claim grace and live however I want? No, here's what Jesus says. A new commandment. There's a new rule. This is it. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we are humble, we are open to becoming disciples. And our identity gets wrapped up in becoming like him, following the things that he wants us to do. The tax collector's prayer is the Christian's prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to be close to you, but I stumble, and I know you are there to heal me and guide me, and that's why Jesus came, and that's why I believe. And if you're here today and you're trying to figure this whole thing out, or if you're listening to me today and you're trying to figure this whole thing out and you've seen the legalistic religions and you don't want any part of that, but, but honestly, the people of God with, with no guidelines aren't really any better. I get that. Ignore the Pharisees and realize that we aren't God and we can't do good things. And that's when real change starts to happen. And, and understand that following Jesus means learning to shape your life around loving God and loving each other. There are rules. They're just a lot easier and a lot harder at the same time. But your salvation doesn't depend on your goodness or even how well that you love. What I'm saying is I'm inviting you to follow Jesus today. And it'll wreck a lot of things in your life um, as they are right now, but it'll be the best kind of wreck you've ever seen. Because if God can raise a man from the dead, he can reassemble your life. 
If you follow him, you should get baptized and say, my life is yours. I need your mercy. We got four baptisms I know of at New Lenox campus even this weekend. And we're going to have baptism weekend, April 10th, Palm Sunday. If you haven't done that, invite your friends to that one, okay? It's going to be a great one. We're going to look at Nicodemus and he, who said, a man must be born again. Jesus said, a man must be born again. And I'm going to explain what that means through the Nicodemus passage, April 10th, the week before Easter. Invite your friends. It's going to be good. Think about doing that. Think about starting each day, maybe with a simple prayer like, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how we should start every day. Get signed up for the Lent stuff so that we can help you along the way. And I pray that you will come to an understanding that this is the story that God wants to come true in your life. And you can leave the fake one behind. All right? I'm going to close with a, a, just a clip. And then I'm going to come back out here and pray. Um, and, and this is a clip. I've got to set it up because I, I don't have time to show you the whole thing. Basically, this guy Jesus is talking to admits that he's actually one of the guys in the Good Samaritan story who beat up the guy. He's one of the robbers, okay? And we don't know who that would have been, but he's one of the robbers, and he's, and he's talking to Jesus, and Jesus has already helped him and his family. So he's admitting to Jesus, you shouldn't help me. I'm not worthy. I'm one of the people who beat up this other guy and left him on the road for dead, and I want you to watch Jesus' interaction with this. Because, you know, obviously we talk about the Good Samaritan was a good guy that came along and helped. But nobody ever talks about whether the robbers could be redeemed. Nobody wants to think about that. So I want you to see this scene. And, and here's the most important reason. Because I want you to put yourself in the elongated hug that Jesus gave to this attempted murder criminal. I want you to put yourself in there and then we'll pray. You know the crime I committed in cold blood? You'd help someone like me? He would. She is asleep. We... Better go back into town before it gets too late. Yes. We never know what sort of men may lay in wait along the side of the road, huh? Too soon? <laughs> you told him. I think you already knew. May I? Sleep well tonight, my friend. Father God, if there are people here right now who feel like if Jesus hugged them, they would have that exact look in their eye, that quizzical, how could you do this? Do you not know who I am? Will you please introduce yourself to them? Jesus, will you please introduce yourself to them right now and help them to know that that is exactly who you are? And Lord, for those of us who sometimes become the religious leaders and think we're actually good enough and, and start getting good at following the rules and start forgetting that we needed you in the first place, this moment of worship is for you. This moment of communion is for you when we say we need the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, for all of us, we open up our hearts to you. People, if you need to pray this prayer with me, just do it right now. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you in my life. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I know I'm not worthy. Thank you for loving me. I'll take that love and I'll spread it back around. It's in your name that we pray.